love seeing our kids. If you can turn in your Bibles, I'd like to read a couple passages. If you could turn to your Bibles to Psalm 23. I'd like to to preach out of Psalm 23, and I've got one other passage that I'd like to to share this morning. But if we could turn there, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read this chapter. Some of you may memorize it. Some of you would probably recognize much of it. But if you could turn, if you're not 100% familiar with it, go on your phone to Psalm 23. And, And as I read this, as I share this morning... What I'd, what I'd like to do is I'd like to have our, our frame of reference. Sometimes you can read the scriptures from different vantage points. You can look at it from your point. You can look at it from God's point. You can look at it from a place of need. You can look at it from a place of strength, of prosperity, of health, wealth, of of desperation. So as I share it this morning, as I read this morning, what I'd like us to do is look at it or see some of the phrases that speak of God's goodness. So as I'm reading this, If you could just, if you want, close your eyes. If you want, read along with me. But as I read it, think about God in this reading. Think about the God that you serve, the God that loves you. Think about how he is represented in this passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. This is a psalm of David. And he has this amazing picture of how God interacts with his kids. Now I want us to go to a book called Nehemiah. If you've got your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 9. And what I'd like to do is read this passage. But read it now with the thought of how he is a shepherd. As I read this passage, what I'd like to do is frame it within the context of how God is a shepherd. And I'll give you a little bit of background in this passage that we're going to read out of Nehemiah. 
the Nehemiah has all these leaders of the, the tribes and of the families, and they're praying to God, and they're rehearsing and retelling the story of God. I haven't told you a chapter yet. Chapter 9. I have to keep you in suspense. But I'm so glad somebody's reading and checking it out in their Bibles. Like, hey, awesome. But, but what they're doing is they're actually confessing to God. And if the passage actually says they spent, I think it was a third of the day in prayer and worship and a third of the day in confessing. And, and Nehemiah is about rebuilding the walls and restoring... It's actually a beautiful picture of the grace of God in an Old Testament environment where sometimes we think God was such a hard father. And what we find in this passage is God is such a good father. Even in the Old Testament. Come on, we're told, sometimes we, we're told, sometimes we get this picture, God was just like this, but even in the, it's amazing when you read in the Old Testament, time and time again for the children of Israel, and when they'd fall, God has said, listen, I'm here for you, call on me and I will answer. And he says that in the context of, you're going to mess up, you're going to make a mistake, you're going to make a pile of garbage, and you know what, when you do, call on me and I will answer. <laughs> what a good father. And so in that context, we find in Nehemiah chapter 9, and if you, you follow with me, think of this now in the context of the Heavenly Father and him being a good shepherd. And we're going to start, we've got about 10 verses to read. We're going to start in verse 16. And just see the story of the children of Israel. And I may emphasize some words and stuff like that. But he, the, the people are, are calling out to God, and he says, But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Just, just picture this. They're painting this picture. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemy, you in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day, to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manner, you, your manna, you did not withhold from their mouth for 40 years. Talk about putting God to the test. 40 years every day, six days a week, he gave them manna. And you gave them water for thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness. And they were, listen to this, they were not in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
And here they are in the wilderness. And they're not in want. That's how good God is. He doesn't open the door, push you out, and say, deal with it. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, and all the parents said, yes, Lord. Nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples. You allotted to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. Look, this is how good God is in when they're in the wilderness when they're traveling through from their bondage to get to the promised land listen to how God deals with them they captured 40 fortified cities and fertile land they took possession of houses full of every good thing <laughs> they took houses already full of every good thing they had hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and re reveled in your great goodness. God is so good that even in the wilderness, he says, I'm here for you, and I've got an abundance for you. I believe in sowing and reaping, but I also believe there's something greater than sowing and reaping, and that's called God. And what he said was, even when they were in the wilderness, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, he came and he says, you're going to have houses. You didn't even build the houses. You just came into the land and it was there for you. I believe there's a dimension of God, a dimension of life in Christ that we walk into things that we did not plant. We walk into a blessing. We walk into a fruitfulness. We walk into things that we didn't plant, but God put them there for us because he loves us. And not to sound elitist, but you and I, have a distinct advantage over people who do not believe in God. And I'm not trying to be elitist or arrogant, but I'm here to tell you there is a relationship with God and there are actually benefits and goodness that comes with that relationship. Now I'd like, after painting that picture, I want to go back now to Psalm 23. Now I've read this psalm I, I'm 57 years old. I've read it. I can't count how many times. I preached from it. And as I was meditating this week, I, I was going through some verses and, some, and I came across that and something popped out at me that was like I hadn't seen 
in this passage before, so I'm hoping you're going to get as excited as I was. Sometimes you preach and, and you preach a revelation and it's like, oh, it's so, and, and so I'm, I'm hoping the impression that I received, I'm hoping I can convey that to you. So I've written down a number of thoughts about the shepherd. First thing I want us to know is the picture that is associated with a shepherd. In the Hebrew language, the picture is the one who sees. Now think of that. The shepherd, it's like he's watching not just his flock, but he's aware of everything that's happening. Think of this in context in your life. The one who sees, not only is he aware of what's happening right now, but he sees tomorrow, he sees 10 years from now, he sees things a generation from now, he sees things 50 years from now, he saw things 50 years ago that are happening now. He sees and he looks and he's the one that watches over you and I. So the first thing I want us to see is the shepherd is the one who sees. I shall not want actually means I will not decrease. I will not abate. I believe God, in his capability, has more than you and I could ever need. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Some versions, some uh, translations would say that. It's an actual unique structure because the only time this word, I, um, that word or that phrase is in the same grammatical order. And Pastor Nelson loves this because he loves the grammar and he'll look at the verbs and the nouns and the subjects and the nerds and he'll get into it all. And, and, and the actual unique structure of this word is the only other time it's referred to in the Bible is in Nehemiah that I just read when it says that they were in the wilderness and they did not lack. The picture of the shepherd and maybe the psalmist didn't just have a revelation of the Lord is my shepherd here, but maybe he had a revelation of how the Lord was shepherding his children throughout history. So much of this psalm, as I sat and studied and meditated on it, what I found was so much of this psalm was painted in yesterday, but was spoken in today. The shepherd, he makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. You know the shepherd is concerned about the state of his sheep? He doesn't just drive his sheep. He doesn't just say, move, move. He is actually looking out for the best of his sheep. And there are times when he takes the sheep and what he wants them to do is just to lie down and rest. 
he is concerned about their spirit, but he's also concerned about their soul. He's concerned about their mind, their will, and their emotions. And it actually says he makes me. I, I can almost, now I've had four children and many of us who are parents understand this. When you're trying to have your child to rest, it's like, sometimes it's like, I just want you to rest. I know what you need. And the child is fighting it and fighting it. And then about three minutes later, you walk in there and they're snoring away. And there's like, they're all in bliss because they're resting. We'll make you rest and lay down. And I'd rather rest when he tells me than when my body says, I can't, I have to stop. Pay attention. Pay attention. I've actually, to be honest with you, I've learned how to rest. I've had to rest. I've learned how to rest. I'm not lazy, but I sure do enjoy my Sunday naps. He leads me beside still waters. The still waters. The, the, the picture is a turbulent stream or creek or river the sheep are afraid of because they have so much wool that is a potential for them to get caught or fall and they may not be able to get out. So they actually want to find naturally now there's times when they get near turbulent stuff but an ideal situation would be a stream that is very gentle and quiet and the shepherd knows what's best for his sheep and he says i'm not going to bring you to something that's turbulent that's going to cause you anxiety because the sheep won't be able to rest or enjoy he says i'm going to lead you beside still waters it actually is escorting now Call me silly. Call me whatever you want. But I like it when I get escorted into a place. I've, I've been to places and it's like, oh, David, come with me. And it's like, I have somebody in front of me leading me to a place. And it's like, everybody else is looking and it's like, <laughs> it feels good. It's, it's like... I, I, maybe it's just me. Maybe there's a deficiency in my character. But I kind of, in, it's, it's kind of like even in a restaurant, follow me and I'll take you, I'll escort you to your seat. And you walk through and everybody see. And that's how the Heavenly Father, that's how our Good Shepherd, this is how the one who watches and who sees looks at you and says, come with me. I've got what you need. I know the exact table. I know the exact area that you need. Just come with me. And whenever I get escorted, you know what? That person kind of is in charge. That's where he's going to sit. I've actually had somebody say, could you move so he can sit there? It's like, Ooh. I had to be careful. Almost got prideful. But he escorts. This is a shepherd. As I was reading this, I just got a greater love for my shepherd. He restores my soul. He actually 
brings it back to life. He actually causes it to turn back. He restores my soul. He cares about my well-being. In today's lingo, he cares about my mental health. He's not afraid of it. In fact, he says, I've got the solution for it. I'm the one who sees, I'm the one who watches, and I want to turn back, I want to revive your soul. I think that's maybe why the psalmist wrote, better is one day in your court than thousands elsewhere. It doesn't mean you come to church once every three years. It just means, you know what, I can find more nourishment in one day than I could find anywhere else for years. And that's here. I am an advocate for church attendance. I do not apologize for saying, make yourself come to the house of God. Sometimes we may not feel like it, and I want to applaud you for coming to God's house. And when you come, I believe this will be the best hour, hour and a half, two hours that you spend, and you will walk away refreshed, restored, revived, uh, jubilant, strong, because the shepherd's here. Now, by the way, he doesn't, he, he's not just here. He's everywhere you are. But there's something beautiful about getting together with his family. He restores my soul. It says he guides me in the paths of righteousness. I love that because that word guides actually refers to like a trench. Young people will sometimes say, I just want to do God's will. What's God's will? And it's a question we have. But I think sometimes knowing what to do right, when we understand God, it's like a trench. It's not too hard to miss. And he says, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to make this trench that you're going to follow. And that trench is rightness. It's the right thing. It's the right place. It's the right time it's the right relationship it's the right standing it's the rightness sometimes in today's day and age it's the vibe oh i got this vibe and i like the vibe and it's like he leads us in the paths of righteousness right ways right ways of living rightness the shepherd the one who watches the one who sees wants to guide us in the way that's right have you ever had somebody lead you down a path that led you nowhere it's like your trust level goes and sometimes our earthly experiences and the way that we have related or uh, communicated with people, sometimes that translates and comes into our relationship with God and we allow hurt, disappointment, frustration, um, things that didn't happen the way we wanted them to do. Sometimes we allow those things to come into how we view God. And I'm here to tell you, no, let's, let's, let's get those out of the way and understand God is for me. Yeah. 
He's not against me. God wants the best for me. I can honestly tell you my God wants the best for me. He guides. He leads. He restores. He makes me. And then I find an interesting twist in this psalm. This is the part that that actually I hadn't seen before. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He guides me. He leads me. And it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I found that interesting. It was like when he was guiding, when he was leading, when he was directing, everything was good. And all of a sudden, he's out of this first part of the statement. And it was almost like I saw a sheep wandering from where the shepherd had put them. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I know more than God. I've got this, God. And I found it interesting as I read this, even though I walk. It was like, Where's God? Where's the shepherd? Because before it was the shepherd led me, the shepherd guided me, the shepherd restored me. But it says, even though I walk, and, and what I found was it says, was even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and other versions say the dark, dark valley, even though I walk through this depressing darkness, he is there with me. And I, I, I just, I had to pause when I read that because what I found was when he's doing it, things are going well. And when I do it, things don't go well. But the shepherd, the one who watches, doesn't leave me in that mess, but he's there and his rod and his staff Comfort me even when I decide that I'm going to walk. And we read in Nehemiah about the children of Israel and how they made a calf. They worshiped the calf, and yet God still came to them. And we read in, in Nehemiah that chapter where, where it says they decided they were going to vote somebody in who would bring them back to Egypt to put them back into slavery. And God says, no, I'm here. And he was gracious to them. The grace of God goes beyond the reasoning of man. And I'm so thankful that my shepherd, who sees all, who watches all, even when I think I've got it figured out, he doesn't leave me, but his rod and his staff, his protection and his correction are with me, and he's always there with me. And I I was just amazed when I read this because it was like, he leads, he guides, he restores, he does this. And then it goes, and even when I decide to do my own walk. Now maybe you've read it like that, but to me, my light, the lights just went off. And all I could see was how good my shepherd is. It's like, what's not to love? 
If I was in charge and you say, thank God you're not. Like I said earlier, I have all these qualifications and all this, and, and I understand that in relationship and things like that. But the way God looks at me, he says, no, I'm going to be with you, David, even when you're an idiot. Can we just be honest? Some of you might have even called me that. But it's like, even when I do my own thing and I walk, and by the way, where I walk through the valley of the it's like I don't walk into green pastures I don't no it's like he leads me and he guides me but when I get into it I get into the deep dark valley pretty quick we sang this morning about how he leaves the 99 the shepherd and he goes after the he doesn't go hey I got 99 that's not bad that's like 99% retention it's like hey you know, the church down the street's got 76%. I'm doing better. Am I shepherding? No, he says, he goes after the one. And you find actually what they do is they actually pick up those ones and they put them on their shoulders so that one doesn't even have to walk. It is carried by the shepherd after it's ran away and did its own thing, made its own decisions, found its own pasture, found its own wilderness, and the shepherd goes after it, and in the grace of the shepherd who sees and watches, picks it up, scoops it up, carries it, puts it on its shoulder, and says, I've got you. And he hit me between my eyes and he said, David, I love you. The best for you is verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. But just so you know, I'm even with you in verse 5. He never leaves. <laughs> in the previous verses, he was the one doing and he was doing well. And in that verse, it took only one verse, and my doing messed me up. And can, can anybody relate? Then, if we continue with that thought, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he goes, and then it's almost like the picture has changed from him leading, him guiding, him directing, to say, okay, now you're in this mess. He says, my rod and my staff, he says, even in that, I prepare you a table in the presence of your enemies. <laughs> you anoint my head with oil. There's an amazing thing about the anointing the head with oil. First of all, the lambs were anointed, their heads would be anointed with oil because bugs would get into their membrane of their nose or their ears and would affect them. And sometimes it would cause a lamb to literally kill itself because of the buzzing or the noise or the irritation. So the shepherd would take the oil, and he just didn't do a little dabble, do you? He would pour the oil on, and then he'd mess it and mix it into the, so that the bugs wouldn't have it. Another reason why they would put oil on the head of the rams, uh, the, the, the lambs, which were rams, the male rams, was because when they would butt heads with the oil, they would slip more. Think of that. Think about that. The strong alpha ones. 
when we're anointed with oil, you know what? We don't head butt heads. Another reason why is because they would get scars and scabs. And the oil was a medicine, medicinal. Now think of this in the picture of the Lord is my shepherd. The one who watches and the one who sees. He cares about the things that can affect you, infect you, and affect you. He cares about how you relate with others. He cares about maybe some of the hurts, the wounds that you've had. And he says, my anointing oil is designed and formulated and the compound is that it will actually restore, heal, and be a part of your healing process. And then a fourth aspect of anointing is the tradition was when somebody came to their house, the person that would come into the house, the host would take oil and would anoint them. That's why in Luke, when Jesus went into the house of a person named Simon, who was a Pharisee, and and he, he came into the house to have dinner with him, and there was a lady that came and washed his feet with her tears and broke open a, a vial of alabaster, and Jesus said... She's done that, and, and there was a bit of complaining, and he said to Simon, you didn't even anoint my head with oil. Because that was tradition. And actually, part of that tradition also entailed, my cup runs over. A gentleman wrote in the early 1800s, he wrote that quite often the custom was you would walk into that home not only would they anoint your head, but then they would give you and they would pour to overflowing to let you know that all the goods in their house were for your benefit. So when your cup runs over, what it is, is it's God saying, everything I have for you in my place is here now for you. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue after me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's not just a futuristic. What that is is every time I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. I will be where your presence is. I will be where you are. And now we know and when Jesus came and when he died on the cross and he released the Holy Spirit in, in Acts, the Holy Spirit is the ever-present person of God with us full time. Surely goodness and mercy don't only just pursue after you, they are with you and in you all the time. So as I read this psalm, I just, I had never seen it this way before. He guides, he leads, he does a good job. I walk and I seem to get into a mess. And yet, the one who sees comes to me, takes me in whatever condition, whatever condition I'm in, the shepherd wants to make me better. 
whatever shape you're in, whatever condition you're in, the shepherd did not give up. The shepherd said, I've got what you need. I'm here for you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will nurture you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I've got you covered. I'll be honest with you. I read that this week. And it was just like another notch of, why do I love my Savior? Because he loves me so good. (laughs) He loves me when I'm unlovable. And there's been days when I felt unlovable. And he says, nah, you're not that strong, David. You're not that powerful. I still love you. The Lord is my shepherd. Look at somebody and say that to them. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Is he the one who sees? Hallelujah. Would you stand? I'd like to just pray a blessing. As I pray... A blessing over you. I'm going to ask for a revelation of the Good Shepherd. He cares for you when you have no idea what you need. <laughs> when you've got no concept, no frame of reference, no idea what to do next, the Shepherd. The one who sees knows. And for me, the challenge is to step back and to say, you're the shepherd of my soul. You're the shepherd of my life. Yes, Lord. Because the shepherd, he knows. Amen? You... Stretch your hands. I want to pray a blessing over you. And if you'd like to receive that blessing, just open your hands to receive. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you grace. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.